You are now listening to the Major Jobs Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Major Jobs Podcast. Today I got to talk with a software engineer who worked at Google and this was a really amazing conversation because I got to learn a lot about computer science, what it's like working at one of the biggest companies in the world and what the tech career is kind of like and i hope you guys enjoy it i know a lot of people out there want to go into computer science and they want to know what it's like working at these companies and this is the perfect conversation because we touched on all of those aspects and i really hope that you enjoy this episode because i really liked it and i hope that you do too so without further ado here is the podcast episode with the software engineer started with everything i usually ask everybody what is the job title so officially uh i was a software engineer level three my last day was actually a couple weeks ago and i'm moving to a startup now but uh, i'll probably talk about the google experience um uh, uh sui level three is actually or <laughs> sui three is like the name suggests uh, a level four engineer, uh, but that's senior software engineer. And I worked specifically on the search team. So if you've got your phone in front of you and you go to the Google homepage and you kind of scroll below the search bar, then that that's the thing that I worked on, the proactive piece. Oh, wow. So what is the job description and like, what did you do as a software engineer at Google? Um, the There are two pieces that I can kind of talk about. Um, generally, uh, what I did at Google was uh, I was responsible for most of the pieces from about the indexing level up until just before the UI. Um, we were part of the videos team. And uh, if I can digress for just a minute, the, there are sort of like two pieces to the whole software engineering aspect. And I think that my experience at Google was phenomenal, but in terms of like the actual sort of work, I feel like it was slightly less interesting than a couple of the previous companies that I had. Still, a, a, you know, a great bunch with a really outstanding team, but on the whole, it was pretty standard fare sort of um, uh, software engineering work. And I guess to kind of quantify what that exactly is, um, you generally have a problem definition. Like in our case, uh, we wanted to cover the domain where um, people would sometimes search for things. Like you might have a set of hobbies and you look for these commonalities or these things kind of commonly. Um, and it may be the case later on in your, you know, in your life that uh, you that these fall out of your mind or you're not thinking about them. And the purpose of proactive search is to take some of the things that are established as your hobbies and use the enormous amount of data that Google has about the world and say like, hey, you are interested in uh, you know, uh, paper folding. So here's an article that we found that is generally well liked about origami. And that's the proactive search team. So you can think of it as kind of like um, uh, maybe like something like Reddit, except there's no human element uh, providing the articles to it. And what did you do on a daily basis? What was your schedule kind of like? And what was kind of what you did while you were at work? Sure. Um, so I'll contrast uh, Google with some of the previous places that I worked. Uh, Google does not use an agile methodology, which means that, um, well, I'll talk about my day-to-day first and then I'll go into the finer details. So uh, I would generally show up at the office. I try to be there around 8 or 8.30. Um, 
I would open up my mail and see if there were any sort of like critical things or if there was any stuff on fire. Uh, and then I would have on the left side of my cubicle just sort of like a, a bunch of stickers with the different projects that I was kind of working on. So that might include something like um, I need to run uh, a couple of metrics, like do uh, run an experiment based on some new functionality to determine if users are you know, uh, like it, if they uh, despise it, if it generally makes things more difficult for people to find or if it generally makes things easier. Um, other pieces of that might be, uh, let's say we have a new field that we want to get in there, like uh, publication or a public, uh, publisher name is an example. So one of the pieces of information that comes from YouTube is the name of the channel. And previously, the only thing that we would display is just like, this is a video from YouTube, here it is. Uh, so the work that I might have in front of me is like, let's take the information that we have in this in, uh, in the index and let's run some piping so that we can get that information out on the front end. Um, and that involves touching a couple of different pieces. That's uh, At this point, it's you know, mostly the manipulation of what are called protobufs, uh, which is sort of a fancy way of just like saying the, a system of moving around data, I'll say, in, in the simplest of terms. Um, and then there's also rarely the uh, matter of modifying things on the front end. So uh, I wasn't much of a UI engineer. I did touch a few pieces of the Android Google search app, but on the whole, most of my work was relegated to the back end. Uh, the flip side of that is uh, there are companies that use something called Agile, which is a development thing where you'll take the problem that you're working on. So it, in one of our cases, we were doing basically automatic language processing on a bunch of patents. Um, I should mention that I, my background is machine learning, so I'm getting back into that field. And do you have in a given week, usually, or a week or two, a given sprint, you'll say like, we have 30 tasks that we would like to accomplish in service of maybe uh, making things uh, uh, faster in the application. So that'll be broken down even farther into like running um, pro uh, profiling to see where in the application things are particularly slow or to do architectural work and say, okay, well, we want to implement a new bunch of functionality and we don't know where exactly inside of our application to put this. So let's um, kind of build a bunch of diagrams and talk amongst ourselves about how we want to actually make this happen. And oftentimes, um, after everybody has sort of like settled on the things that they're going to do, it's usually just a matter of taking the ticket out of whatever tracking system you're using, spending a couple of hours coding it up, uh, making some tests for it, and then submitting what's called a, a pull request to your uh, version system. And that basically is just like, here are the things that I worked on. Um, this is the change to the actual code base. And then one of your coworkers or maybe somebody on another team will review it and they'll say like, okay, yeah, this looks pretty good. You've dotted all your I's and crossed your T's and you've implemented tests. This is fantastic. Let's merge it. And uh, then it becomes part of the larger code base, which is used when you actually perform a release of the application. Wow. And I want to shift it towards what you said earlier about your background. So what was your pathway to where you are today? Did you always know that you wanted to do this from an early age? And what did you do from 
when you were in high school to now to get to where you were? Uh, that's a, a great question. So I had some sense, like I liked working with computers when I was a little kid. Um, things were, I'll, I don't want to date myself, but a little bit on the primitive side when I was uh, growing up with machines. So like what, to give you a sense, like Windows 3.1 um, came out at a time that I can actually remember it. So before that, it was just DOS. Um, but when I actually, uh, I went to high school and uh, had a real blast with all the sort of the mathematics aspects. I wasn't particularly good at any of them, but I really just got a, an absolute kick out of it. It was fun and it gave me um, kind of neat ways to think about the world. Like every new mathematical thing that you learn is another tool in your toolbox for understanding everything. Um, and when I went off to college, I'm like, okay, this is, uh, I was a little bit torn between like, I thought about computer science and I'm like, no, I, I think I'll do electrical engineering because it seemed like a more hands-on kind of thing, which is, you know, I love to build things and uh, EE seemed like a really reasonable fit. Uh, and so I did that for a semester or so. And I'm like, this is neat, but I, I'm not really feeling it anymore. So I switched over to computer science and then started on that path. And about um, maybe a year or so into it, I had a, a teacher that uh, taught an algorithms class. And one of his friends was uh, in the psychology lab. And they did this thing where they would like poach students from computer science because it was easier for them to teach some of the psychological principles to a CS person that knew how to code rather than take a psychology person and give them the computer science fundamentals to build this. Uh, and so I spent a couple of years basically making, um, I don't know if you've ever taken uh, like a really particularly boring psychology exam, like you know, memorize these numbers and so forth and so on. Uh, I'm, I was generally responsible for those, sorry. And uh, around this time, uh, like, 2007, I want to say, uh, Jeff Hinton did a presentation on what are called restricted Boltzmann machines, which was a really neat way of, uh, it, it's an energy-based model, or what's called an energy-based model. And the short version is it gave a neat way of uh, reducing the dimensionality of data is one way to say it, but I, I think colloquially, um, you can think of it as uh, what's a good way of reducing the dimensionality? If you see a gigantic picture with a bunch of cats in it, uh, rather than describing every single pixel in that picture, if you say a bunch of cats, you've generally reduced the dimensionality of the image. That means that you lose some of the finer details, like you don't know where all the cats are, you don't know what color they are, you don't know whether it's a black and white photo, but it's easier to say cats than it is to you know, spew out however many gigapixels the images. Um, and I saw this presentation and thought that's absolutely captivating, especially compared to a lot of the stuff that we were doing in the psych lab, which involved a lot of assumptions about uh, symmetry inside of things and really sort of uh, wrapped my interest as far as like the future of ML. So I continued on, like I went back to the lab and was like, hey, this is a cool thing. Can we try this? And the short answer is no. Uh, rightfully so. Like, I was a little disappointed that they uh, vetoed it, but the purpose of the time in the lab was really to understand the underlying facets of psychology than it was to, like, build something that necessarily worked. Um, but 
after I wrapped up, um, I went off to the West Coast and worked at uh, Qualcomm for a couple of years uh, with the hopes that I would be able to kind of get into the AR, VR sort of space um, and ended up basically working on a, a low-end chipset instead, which was still a good experience, I think. Um, but eventually decided to go back to uh, the East Coast and finish up finish up my master's degree. Uh, I published you know, the, some small papers and then moved back west to the land of opportunity because all of my friends at this point lived in San Francisco, so I thought it, it would be a good thing. And uh, with my newfound knowledge of machine learning underway, uh, under my belt, I looked around for companies that were kind of hoping for uh, you know, candidates that were in that field. And uh, I got lucky with RPX. Uh, their technology stack uh, was largely Python uh, and Django, which is something that I had experience with before. So they you know, picked me up and I got the chance to kind of 50-50 work on the machine learning aspects and work on the backend aspects. Oh, and then after like three years or so, uh, I got a call from a recruiter at Google uh, and uh, they asked me if I wanted to try heading over there. And at this point, a lot of the ML stuff was sort of wrapped up. So I figured, okay, um, and went to work mm. with them for a while. Wow. So I know a lot of teenagers in my school, at least, they are all pursuing computer science. I don't know about it as much, but it's a prevalent thing that a lot of people want to be able to do. And I was and all their main goals are t like saying oh i want to work at google i want to work at all these big companies doing cs so what is your advice to a lot of those teenagers that want to work at these big companies and want to do cs at these big companies i uh, another good question i think that there are two kind of main pieces of advice that i can offer the first being personal projects uh generally when i find myself talking with um, recruiters or even with other candidates, I get more questions about the personal projects I have than about my previous work experience. And that's doubly true if you find yourself contributing to open source projects or if you have any of your own. Um, and the second piece is stay up to date, I guess is what I would say. Um, having the mathematical underpinnings of everything is an extremely useful uh, piece of information and oftentimes you don't realize how valuable it is until you basically make a mental jump between pieces so uh, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that uh, despite the phrase applied mathematics appearing in my degree um, I'm not a particularly adroit mathematician but uh, just having the passion to be able to reason through a problem uh, and to basically draw the connections between the different pieces means that whenever you are faced with learning a new language or uh, solving a new problem, you can at least drop back to that as kind of a, a foundation. Um, and it's basically universally applicable. So if you decide that uh, computer science is not mm -hmm. your thing, at least you have the math background to do um, plasma physics or actuarial sciences or uh, anything else. So now I guess we kind of shifted towards what it was actually like at the job so what would you say are some of the things that you really liked about working as a software engineer and what are some of the harder things or things that you didn't really like as much about working as a software engineer um so the i'll start with what i think is kind of the hardest thing for me 
and that's being sort of uh, self-directed. Usually, um, any kind of long-term software development project is a little bit like having to pace yourself through a longish homework assignment. So if you've ever had to deal with like, um, or had a class where they won't collect the homework weekly and instead will collect it all at the end of the month or at the end of a quarter, then you know that you might find yourself in a case where it's like there's three days left and you have to finish everything. And that oftentimes will lead to problems or lead to, um, you'll run into hiccups like your printer breaks or something like that. And uh, software development is very much uh, similar in that respect because you do have to be able to kind of, you know eventually what you would like to get, but you have to define goals for yourself and you have to have the discipline to kind of stick to that. Um, so that's probably for me one of the hardest parts because you definitely need to, um, it, things happen. You know, you uh, get sidetracked or you get distracted or you even get demotivated because you can't seem to figure out uh, the solution to a problem or you can't seem to like push through a bug. Um, and that's uh, definitely one of the bigger issues that I know that I deal with and a lot of other people deal with in kind of the longer run. Um, but as far as the best pieces of working there, I can go on generally at great length, whether people want me to or not. Uh, the Some of the things that I really like is just that um, compared to, say, uh, electrical engineering, um, the process of building out something in computer science is really easy to scale to a global scale. So if I were to build um, a neat gadget using an Arduino or some kind of a embedded electronic system, that's great and I have it to use, but it's not like I can send it out to a million people at the same time. Versus if I build a neat program, then the effort that it takes for me to just distribute that globally is very, very small in comparison. Or I can build a website that will service a million people's needs in, you know, without having to spin up an entire supply chain to build that out. And there's a lot of satisfaction that comes from just like being able to point at something and say, like, I made that, you know, with with my brain and my fingers. Um, so that's extremely rewarding. Uh, if the first time you like stumble upon somebody that's using some but something you made, it's uh, the, the elation is borderline indescribable. So, when you go to the Google app and you go to the search and you see like the things that you did, what is that feeling kind of like? It's generally positive. Also, <laughs> like uh, yes. uh, the, it's still a little unreal, uh-huh. like to have touched something on that scale. Uh-huh. Um, I suppose. Uh, What's a good way to say it? Yeah, uh, surreal is the best way to say mm-hmm. it, I think. So I guess we can kind of shift it towards what is it like working at Google? So everyone always talks about, oh, you know, everyone always hears these stories about Google and like uh, what it's like working at Google. So I kind of want to hear what it's like from someone that actually worked there. Okay. Um, I guess I should probably remind everybody that I, uh, as of a couple weeks ago, I you know wrapped up my time there to change companies. But... My whole experience there was uh, largely positive. It's about what you would expect from working at a bigger company. Um, At this point, they are basically a big company, but it's full of perks. And uh, as far as my experience goes, full of people that are just obscenely talented. Uh, I usually felt very much out of my depth with um, some of the talent there. And my teammates were 
absolutely phenomenal, both in terms of like their work ethic and their ability to get things done and in general their treatment of me as well. So I can't speak highly enough about them. Um, but in terms of like the actual sort of like day-to-day -day stuff, uh, some of the experiences that I think might be out of uh, the ordinary compared to like other jobs that I had like loading trucks or you know preparing fast food uh, is there's a lot more freedom that's involved in kind of the things that you would do. So I tried to show up you know at 8 to 8.30 every day. But if I really, really needed to, I could, you know, call um, ahead or like we had an internal sort of messaging system. We used Hangouts to talk amongst each other. And I could say, um, hey, I need to handle this personal thing in the morning. Um, I'll be in probably at about 9.30. Uh, hope that's okay. And often, like, there's never been a time where it was just not okay. Uh, like, you can catch flack if you're you know, uh, if you're working in fast food for pulling that stunt, it would be bad. But at Google and basically all the other software positions I've worked, that was basically pretty much okay. As long as your work gets done, they're not overly concerned about that kind of thing. Um, and uh, other things that were kind of interesting about working there was um, I really enjoyed having sort of like uh, the inside look at all the different pieces and like the painstaking efforts that went into like making sure that uh, to minimize bias, which from the inside was really um, kind of uh, crazy. Like you have uh, people with different, um, there's an entire pool of people that are across the political spectrum that will evaluate search results and they'll say like, hey, this is crazy biased or stuff like that. And um, there's, that's why I think like any accusation that uh, like, hey, there's this liberal bias kind of pains me because there's so much effort that went into like trying to make that not the case or making that not the case that it's um, a little bit like uh, you clean your entire apartment or you clean your house and then somebody goes and looks under the sink and says, hey, there's dust here. I'm like, oh, come on, you found the one place of uh, like uh, we're, we're trying here. But, uh, oh, other pieces are uh, that are kind of fun involve, say, um, like looking at products internally uh, are having access to uh, dog food products. Like, are, are you familiar with the phrase dog food? Okay. Um, uh, it's a historical callback. Uh, there was some jibe about uh, a dog food manufacturer and they said, like, hey, if your dog food is so good, why don't you eat it? And that came to refer to basically... Uh, people using the software that they had written, you know, eating your own dog food. Uh, so before a product goes out to a larger audience, generally it falls into what we call the dog fooding category, which just means that phones or people that are on the internal side of the network can use functionality and features that are not yet introduced to the world writ large. Uh, and that includes not just like, uh, that includes hardware products too, which is kind of neat. Um, or functionality that's not um, present in the public facing version. And that's mm. kind of a cool, like mm. behind the curtain kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of people say that working in uh, computer science is really hard and you have to work long hours. Is that true most of the time or is it really like it depends on what you do? It really depends on what you do. Uh -huh. um, I've worked in companies where they will do you know six to eight outside of crunch time um, uh -huh. 
and then longer during crunch time. Uh-huh. And that's a good way to get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Um, smaller startups do generally have longer hours because you're in survival mode at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, but larger, more established companies very rarely require people to be working, you know, 80 hours a week or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not impossible. Uh, I can't say that it's impossible, but it's very, very unlikely. And it's, I well, very unlikely at some of the bigger companies, but it happens, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just... Hard to say at uh, for any individual company. Uh huh. Um, what are some traits that people need to have to be successful in the profession? There are soft skills and there are hard skills, and the soft skills generally revolve around um, being able to articulate your thought process when you're solving a problem, um, and to be able to write down what you were thinking and the assumptions that you have when you were solving a problem. There's also the matter of uh, being personable and having like interpersonal relations. Um, it gossiping is never a good thing. So being able to sort of abstain from that and to be able to interact professionally with people, even when you really fundamentally disagree with something that they're about or with um, either a worldview or even like a design choice that they've made is uh, invaluable. Um, patience pretty much universally is uh, rewarded. And as far as the more technical, oh, uh, actually one more soft skill that's really important. Um, The thing I think that defines or the hallmark of a person, not just in computer science, but everywhere, a positive trait is being able to uh, take responsibility to to own a fault um, and to distribute success so if there was a problem then i caused this problem this is my fault and when things go really well we collectively worked hard it took everybody working together to get this done Um, and then when things start to hit the fan uh resisting the temptation to like point fingers and to panic it's much more important or essential to remember that it's not you versus each other and it never should be it's all of you versus the problem. And then uh, the more technical, the harder skill side of things, um, it's generally great to have a mathematics background. Uh, I Almost everything that I do has some sort of uh, process that can be simplified via some clever math. Generally, uh, like uh, the computer vision side or the computer graphics side or the machine learning side are more math intensive but if you have a good understanding of not just mathematics but mathematical problem solving then being able to phrase things in the world or the things that you're dealing with in those terms makes it much easier to uh, design and develop robust systems so that general way of thinking uh, contributes a lot to it um, of course, you know, like being able to program is essential, I would say, or being able to architect something is essential. But it's if computer science is about learning programming languages, then astronomy is learning about telescopes. There's a much deeper sort of uh, piece to it that separates it from like the software 
engineering versus or computer science versus like um, learning to program, things like that. And having that information or having that uh, background helps a great deal. Other things uh, I would say are, it helps to be able to keep a lot of moving parts in your head. Uh, there's a great deal of sort of building abstractions to make this more feasible for the average person. Um, and in that sense, like a, they say that computer science is about, you know, either divide and conquer or abstracting away the problem into one that's simpler. And that kind of thing is um, very, very much true, I think. Mm -hmm. So as we near towards the end of the interview, I have one last question, which is, uh, what do you want to do or what do you want to keep doing? And you don't have to go too in-depth if you don't want to, but just like what are your future plans? Sure. Um, so uh, I develop a lot of uh, software. I develop a lot of games as just kind of like a side hobby. It's a passion as much as anything else. And the interplay between the machine learning realm and the uh the video game realm is one that's very interesting to me because I think that as time moves forward, we're going to see more and more content being produced by uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence systems. We do already um, in some sense of it, but it, it's going to be much more the case now that we have these robust ways of generating graphics and robust ways of generating audio uh, and things on the uh, on that kind of order of things. So what I would love to do or what I'd like to continue doing is um, working on my projects, working on the small games that I have, and working on the um, other not yet commercialized uh, things that I have in the background. And of course, contributing to open source software when I can. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you so much for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Got to learn a lot about computer science, software engineering, programming and what it's like working at one of the biggest companies in the world. Uh, <laughs> I want to say thank you so much. I know a lot of people are really going to like this episode, so thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to me. It's been a pleasure. I hope I managed to answer all of your questions. Alright, and that's going to do it for this 
episode of the podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. I really liked interviewing him, and I think that this was one of the better episodes that I've done because of the content that's in it and just what the job is. Because I know this is one of the most seeked job, and a lot of people are going into computer science. So I really hope that this answers a lot of your guys' questions about what it's like working in the tech industry and one of the biggest companies at that. Um, just want to say thank you to Joseph for doing this interview and thank you to you for listening to this episode of the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you want to support the podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Major Jobs Podcast and email me if you have an interesting job or just send me a message or something, Podcast at gmail.com. Other than that, I want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast, and I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to the Major Jobs Podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to follow us on Instagram at Major Jobs Podcast. If you have an interesting career and want to be featured on the show, send us an email at majorjobspodcast at gmail.com with your job title and college major if applicable. Again, thanks for listening. And remember, life happens wherever you are, whether you make it or not.